This is one of my favorite seasons in the church year. It is the beginning of the church year in churches that are liturgical, that is to say, worship according to uh, set forms. And so it affords the opportunity to do some Episcopalian 101 about the Christian year and its importance and centrality uh, in our common life. And then to say some things about the readings that we heard uh, on this first Sunday of Advent in this cycle from Isaiah, from Paul's letter to the Romans, and from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. That will now be the default Gospel that we'll read from uh, as we move through this cycle of readings, year A. There is a Latin maxim in the Anglican Church, which seems a little bit odd since this is the English Church, but we have always found it uh, to be useful for a long time, and we, we had it before as the English Church, but then when we went into English, we didn't see any need to, you know, eliminate it. In fact, you can look in the prayer book and see in the Psalter, where all the Psalms are, that the italicized little writing right underneath the number of the psalm is in Latin. So it refers to the uh, psalm uh, that was originally in the Latin text for a long time. I'll say more about that in a minute. Lex arendi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief, or what we pray, we believe. So the Anglican approach to word and sacrament, and I should include here the music in the life of the church, uh, is part of the way we appropriate and make, par make part of our lives the power of God's work uh, with people. Aidan Kavanaugh, who uh, was a famous liturgist in the Roman Catholic Church, he wrote a lot of books, and he wrote a, a little book called Elements of Rite, R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. And in it, speaking about the church year, he says, Once in touch with time as marking the implacable unfolding of divine purpose, it is a time that we recall as Christians who worship according to a liturgical calendar year, year in and year out, that time is important and that the liturgy is the way through which one is able to perceive its true purpose. One is able to perceive its true nature to be not an endless succession of bare moments, but a purposeful thrust home towards its holy source. That's why we do it over and over again, year after year, year after year, to understand something um, that was talked about in one of the great books on the, the history of the liturgy by an Anglican Benedictine monk named Dom Gregory Dix. And he wrote a book in 1946 called The Shape of the Liturgy. And he had an, a large chapter in that book on the sanctification of time. I remember that when I was in Rome on a scholarship, 20 of us got a chance to study over there for about six weeks uh, in my last year in seminary. And when we went around and heard all the lectures that we heard, uh, when they bore on the liturgy, I was absolutely shocked at how many of the lecturers uh, sourced Gregory Dix. Roman Catholics who talked about Dom Gregory Dix and his importance uh, in the uh, history of the liturgy. So it's an important thing to think about the sanctification of time. 
So here's a little Episcopalian 101 about the church year and its origins, and maybe how uh, over time there have been changes and evolution uh, to recover some of the more ancient understanding of what lex credendi, lex arandi means. Advent is the beginning of the church year, but it was not the first post in the POST in creating the church year. That was Easter. And the next post was Christmas. And the next post was a preparatory season prior to Easter, what we now call Lent. And then a preparatory season prior to Christmas, which we now call Advent. And then the great 50 days and the Sundays after Pentecost came later. The earliest evidence we have that there was a season of Advent with set readings and uh, a, a liturgy for Advent uh, comes to us in the 6th century. There's no doubt it wasn't celebrated before, but in a sort of one source, we get it from something. You, if you remember this and can tell this to your friends, it will amaze them. <laughs> the Gelasian Sacramentary. And in the Gelasian Sacramentary, we find all of the propers and the collects and all of the, this stuff for Lent. So there are a number of these sources. I don't know if any of you watch Don Matteo, the uh, Italian parish priest in Gubbio. There was another missile from a long, long time ago, about the 7th century or 8th, the Gubbio Missile. And it is an important uh, liturgical source for scholars. So Advent was originally in northern Europe, Six weeks long, just like Lent. And in fact, in France and, and what we now call the Netherlands and Belgium and so forth, uh, and in England, it was called St. Martin's Lent because it began on November the 14th, which is the Feast of St. Martin of Tours. In the Mediterranean countries, in Italy and Rome, the celebration for Advent was four weeks long, and it was a little less austere than the Northern European version, as you can imagine. So by the time we get now to the celebration of Advent in the 7th century and beyond, we have reduced universally in, West, in the Western Church Advent to four weeks long, but the retention of some of the penitential aspect that was common in the celebration in Northern Europe. So just hold that thought for a minute because I will now confess to you a new jag that I'm on in my own private reading and everything. I have been um, interested again in the text of the New Testament and the Old Testament, something called textual criticism, where you're introduced to it in a small way when you're in seminary, when you learn Greek and, and Hebrew and stuff. But textual criticism is its own special field. And uh, in a YouTube video that I saw not long ago, I was reminded of something that was important in terms of how the liturgy evolves. Lent is a season of penance nowadays, mainly, or has been understood to be that, when in its origins it was a season to prepare people for baptism and the renewal of the baptismal covenant in the hearts of the faithful. 
And there's some liturgical support and historical support that Advent, too, was a season of preparation for baptism, not mainly for penance. We believe as Episcopalians that the church is prior to the scriptures. The church is prior to the scriptures. That does in no way take away from the centrality of the scriptures in the common life of the church. But in terms of lex credendi, lex orandi, the praying community, believing community, all of the sacred literature and all of the theology and the doctrines flow out of our common life as we worship together. So, for 1,400 years in Western Christianity, the Bible was in Latin. It's called the Vulgate Bible. It's still the Bible of the Roman Catholic Church, the Biblia Sacra. And in this Bible, when John the Baptist, who we will meet next week, comes uh, calling for the people to repent, Jerome, St. Jerome, by the way, is the one who translated the, the Bible into Latin from Greek and Hebrew. So Jerome has in that location penitentium agite, do penance. So for 1,400 years, Western Christians have thought that's what it means when we're talking about the seasons where the focus is on some change that we wish to have occur in our emotional, mental, and spiritual states. Penitentium agate. So Luther, not just him, but many people in the late 15th and early 16th century, began now to read the New Testament again in Greek because the, some of the manuscripts were available to them. And Luther's moving on down there, and, he sa and it says... John the Baptist says, metatoiete, repent, turn your life around, look in a different direction for happiness, look at things from a new perspective, not having to get on your knees with an armload of gladiola and walk up the steps, right? You've got to do some thinking about the direction you're looking for happiness. You have to turn around and look at things in a new way. That's what metanoia means. Metanoia means to do that. It doesn't mean to do penance. And there's nothing wrong with doing penance if you need to. It just isn't going to get you very far. What is going to get you far is turning your life around. So it's helpful to know how sometimes linguistically are the patterns of worship and the way we understand who we are and what we're supposed to be doing can undergo some form of change. Because by the time uh, we get to, to the period of the Reformation, nobody was using the Greek scriptures in their liturgy in the West. They were using it in the, in the Greek East. So think about lex arendi, lex credendi. How might that affect us and the season of Advent and what it means, you know? So here are some of the themes 
that will recur as we read the readings for the next four weeks. In Advent, we speak about the necessity of being prepared, of repentance, looking at your life in a new way, of being people of hope. Somebody said to me some years ago, hope means honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm about the the deep things of your own personal and our corporate existence together. Excuse me. (coughs) Expectation. Most of the time, I think in our era, expectation means, have you ever seen that ad for Mervyn's department store where the woman is standing in the front and going open, open, open? (laughs) That's expectancy. Expectancy means making effective use of the imagination to see what might be. I think sometimes uh, people of vision and people who become very successful have a high degree uh, or a a great ability to use their imaginative powers. And it is something that should be encouraged in the spiritual life as well as practically. Joy is the confidence that the uncertainties and the ambiguities of life will become less confusing and baffling as we are able to understand our role in God's plan. Things will come into surer and clearer focus. I'm sure you've had an example of something like this in your life where even if it was hindsight, you look back and saw now more clearly how things were. And that's something that uh, is uh, worth being joyful about. And finally, it says in in, in the Old Testament reading for today, Uh, Christian people are to be about peace, cooperating with the shalom of God. That's a very powerful word in Hebrew that really can't translate uh, completely into English. There are lots of different meanings. It's a very rich word in the original language, and it has to do about peace not merely being the absence of war, but both an external circumstance where communities in some way get along together in some species of harmony and compromise, but it also has to do with an internal peace with regard to your emotional, spiritual, and mental states that permits you now to be more serene in your relational life. And so Advent is a time when those things are focused, are, are the focus, foci. So from Isaiah and from Romans and from the gospel, we get the vision of God's future inspires God's people to live godly lives now and in the future. God is involved in the everyday lives of people. We've spent so much time in the life of the church focusing on God being somewhere else that Jesus, we lose the idea of his immediacy both to us now and with regard to the disciples who understood now that the kingdom was there next to them. And that after he ascended, that we now are to be the disciples of that reality, awaiting, as it says today, for his coming again at the general resurrection, when we will all be raised together. 
with him. And so we say to ourselves, we need to understand something about the future includes all peoples and peace among the nations. You know, if there's anybody that ought to be an idealist, it's Christian people. Sometimes it seems unreasonable, doesn't it? And the apocalyptic events that we read about in the Bible are spaced in such a way as we think about them as, as cataclysms that are going to come in a one-off thing. And now, because we have a 24-7 news cycle, we discover that in the world, we are in a constant state of apocalyptic occurrences. And it's never been any other way. It just seems different. Right? Hurricanes, natural disasters, people going off the rails, all of this kind of stuff that before we never knew very much about unless it was local. And then we thought, well, I guess things are, I just don't know what's happening. So when the biblical writers talk about these things, they're talking about real circumstances on the ground that they have been through and are going through. I said a few weeks ago, I'm a subscriber to the view of the book of Revelation that's called Preterism. That what is being described in the book of Revelation has already happened. And the writer is speaking about developing the coping mechanism and understanding for reading the signs of the times. And that is exactly what Jesus is speaking about today when he speaks about being prepared, being watchful, understanding that this is God's time and not our time, and that we need to be careful about making uh, crazy future pr predictions. Matthew wrote this gospel and included these words of the Savior because they bore directly on the personal experience of the people out of which this gospel emerged. Namely, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Matthew wrote his gospel between 75 and 80. So he knew firsthand about the apocalyptic stuff that occurred because for them, it appeared to be the absolute end of the world. Judaism as a religion of sacrifice now had been completely destroyed. How do we move forward? What do we do? And how can we continue to live lives consistent and congruent with God's purposes? <coughs> you can imagine there's a certain amount of soul searching because you begin to say, what did we do to bring this on, yourself, on ourselves? And how might we have a more critical look at our own behavior in relation to life? So Jesus says one of the ways that you do that is to pay attention. To be in, in Buddhism, they would say a mindfulness. That we need to have that all the time, not just about the great things, but about the commonplace activities of our lives. We need to be mindful of what it is that's going on. You know, <clears throat> I'm sure those of you who are in the helping professions <clears throat> have experienced this and others have too. But my experience in the ministry has been there are times when I have spoken with people 
who appear to me to be like plankton in the sea. They have been buffeted by all kinds of forces about which they have no understanding. They're like Abraham Lincoln, who referred to one of his generals after a battle that was a disaster. He looked like a duck who had been hit over the head. And this gospel is about watching, being attentive, and not being plankton in the sea. You know, some of us would prefer this if circumstances are too difficult and we don't want to focus on negative things, so we just believe ourselves to be floating down an endless stream of grace. And we know that isn't true when we're honest. And Advent is a season to say to ourselves, we need to be more mindful Because it's possible to have hope, it's possible to be joyful, we are able to use the full force and effect of our imaginative powers. We can begin to look at our life with more realism and change its direction. Those are all very hopeful things. So this week, when you think about the first week of Advent, think about being people of peace, think about being hopeful, think about being joyful, think about the ability to turn your life around. All of those are good things, and that's what we're called to do in Advent. Amen.